What's going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Joe of Arm & Hammer. Joe talks about being born and raised just outside Long Beach in Southern California and how he got into music. Started playing trumpet around 14 years old, joined the school band, played in the school band, marching band through, through high school. Also picked up guitar around the same time. He actually grew up as a scene kid, going to like Chain Reaction and different hardcore shows around Southern California. It wasn't until he was in college that he got introduced to EDM music. He went to his first EDM show and he was absolutely hooked, went home and started to try to write songs via his computer. Around the same time is where he met Joseph Chung, the other, the other half to Arm & Hammer, and they started writing music together. Joe talks to us about the first big success they had, having the opportunity to remix a song for Chainsmokers, then opening up for the Chainsmokers at a massive venue in Nashville, and the doors that opened for him. He also talks to us about writing this new record and how it was different than previous albums in the sense that he wasn't able to, like they weren't able to test the songs in a live setting. It was more done over a live stream. We also hear about them selling out the House of Blues Anaheim. And I was just curious because if you've ever been to the House of Blues in Anaheim, every artist that has sold it out gets their own skateboard deck and they're all over the venue. And Arm & Hammer got a skateboard deck. I thought that was so rad. And we chat all about the new record, Waiting for Love. Make sure to check out our past episodes. We've got video interviews with a ton of artists that are all up on our YouTube channel and Facebook page at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you like us there. Subscribe. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, or Google Podcasts, It would be amazing if you could follow us there and hook us up with a five-star review as well. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Arm and Hammer. I'm Adam, by the way, and this podcast is about you and your journey in music and obviously forming Arm and Hammer and and everything you guys have going on as far as uh, the new record coming out. Yep, perfect. Sweet. Um, uh, first off, where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in SoCal. Um, I was born in Long Beach, but I grew up in Cerritos. And uh, okay. it's a suburb in uh, Southern California. I don't think most people know it, but it's right by Long Beach. Yeah, I do, just because I'm from San Diego. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. I always say Long Beach. Just people, just, uh, whenever I say Cerritos, it's a very small suburb. Yeah, 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 no, for sure. I'm I'm not in Southern California anymore. I, my family and I moved to to oh. Nashville about a little over a year ago now. Um, but yeah, I was How's the weather kid. out there. Actually, today it's beautiful. It's like seventy degrees and clear and sunny. But literally, the last beautiful, beautiful few months, it's just been freezing and rainy, and then it snowed, and then it was rainy. And obviously, you know, as a California kid, it. <laughs> this is all new to oh, me. Our bodies man. can't take anything less than sixty. Yeah, so dude. like every degree under sixty is just uh, it, it cuts a little deeper. It's just torture. <laughs> from California, <laughs> yeah, torture. Yeah, right. we were just in. Uh, we've been running our East Coast uh, tour shows, and uh, I've, I've been out there for. I just flew back maybe two days ago, but I've been out there for like three weeks, and it was 
consistently like seven, eight degrees. Oh man, so, I know. It was I'm so really happy to be back cold. here. It's like it 80 was... degrees right now. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I know it was freezing here. And when they, they showed the Super Bowl being in LA, I'm like, it was like 80. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, I missed that. <laughs> uh, you, you pay for the weather. Oh, dude. Yeah, you do. You definitely do. Um, well, that's awesome. So you're from Southern California. What was it like growing up to those of uh, those of the people listening that are not from Southern California? What, what was it like growing up in the Long Beach area? Um, I mean, uh, I guess a typical I mean, I don't know what a typical suburb life in uh, California would be, but never really uh, never really left the county line. Okay. And uh you know, enjoyed the beach. I, uh, I used, my old stomping grounds was Huntington Beach. Used to uh, hang out there a lot as a kid. Uh, I used to go to shows all the time. There's uh, there's a few really historic, like, all-ages venues. Like, uh, some people might know it. Like, the Chain Reaction, mm-hmm. which closed down recently. Um, Did it really? I didn't know that. Blues. Chain yeah, Reaction closed down closed. after. I, I believe so. I don't know if they reopened up but i remember it closed and it was like a hard it was a hard day for socal native wow i didn't know that i didn't hear that yeah oh please uh i hope i'm not wrong (laughs) i I believe so it might be i mean i i I mean again i i haven't just like that's i just remember that being such a great venue and so many i mean especially in the like hardcore emo world all those bands would come through Mm -hmm. chain reaction that's how i grew up i was a hardcore scene kid i didn't know about edm until maybe i was in college so really yeah that was uh yeah (laughs) that was the world i lived in too Uh man (laughs) yeah i feel like we all uh most I mean, most DJs I talked to were at least, you know, a good percentage of them were post uh, ex hardcore kids who Which found is EDM. Interesting to and, me. Yeah. Well, I wonder where the, what the correlation there is. Do you have any, I mean, being a DJ and coming from that world, like what is the, is there similarities there that I'm missing or like, how did that all kind of. I think it's because you didn't need, <laughs> you didn't need a band. Maybe that's why, at least for me, that's why. I mean, I, man, I, when I found EDM, I was like, man, I could do all this without like a drummer, without a bassist, without a keyboard player. Uh-huh. Like I can just do it all on the computer. Uh, and maybe, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of us had dreams of being in bands and it just didn't work out because you need, you need everyone to kind of be on the same page. So mm-hmm. EDM was kind of a nice fit because you could kind of just maybe not share creative control, not in a bad way. So, you know, like, Right, uh, right. No, but you don't have to count on like four yeah. other people being willing to really push something that's you know, may not be in their yeah. dream, right? Exactly. Yeah. So um, I'm just speaking for myself, but uh-huh. I'm assuming that's kind of the case. Like a lot of ex musicians and bands have kind of turned to uh, electronic music. Yeah. I remember um, I, I, I come from radio and I was working on a, a, an alternative radio station in San Francisco in like 2000. 10, it must have been and we were out at outside lands and um dead mouse was headlining one of the stages and i remember a guy i was working with he was he interviewed tommy lee tommy lee was just there i guess he's really good friends or was really good friends with, with 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 dead mouse and he said something about like electronic like he asked him about electronic music and tommy lee said 
uh, EDM and electronic music is the new punk rock. And I'm like, and I didn't understand what that meant, but now it's like, you know, we're 10, 11 years later. It like, it totally makes sense. Like how much yeah. that scene. Modern kind day of rock blew, stars. Yeah. How it blew up. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. It's really I like wild. To think of, I mean, I like to think maybe uh, on that note, I guess what's the cool thing about maybe EDM. Uh, it's so new that us who are in it now are kind of pioneering a genre. Maybe back then the punk rock days kind of similar. Right, I think so that's what he meant. Yeah, there was just like and, this uh, new sound and this new thing that was that was happening, and it was just kind of it was evolving and evolving. And now it's, I mean, it's yeah. massive, right? It is what it is now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's crazy. I think. Well, so tell me about where, how did you get into music? I mean, obviously we talked about how you're into hardcore and, and you're a scene kid, but, but prior to that, were you like how? What was your introduction into the music? Into music. Uh. Well, actually, uh, me, both me and Joe, uh, we grew up kind of in athletics and sports, mm-hmm. but uh, I kind of uh, wasn't coordinated, really, to excel in sports, but I okay. loved sports, so uh, initially I had joined marching band, just so I can follow my school's football team, and basketball oh, wow. team, just to, so my introduction to music was that, I played trumpet, um, kind of learned music theory there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like freshman year of high school and um, kind of fell in love with it. Um, did you join the I school band? The like, did you do band like prior oh, yeah, yeah. to I being had the whole in high school? Suit, the ensemble okay. and everything. Yeah. When did you start but, playing um, trumpet? Other than that, like, I mean, uh, 14 years old. Oh, so you were in high school when you started. soon after. Okay. Yeah. And then you picked never, up guitar. Um, yeah, and I picked up guitar and... Um, that was uh, to me that was much cooler than trumpet <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you carried on with the trumpet history. it sounds like like you did that all the way through high school uh, i mean i could play I, I don't know if i can play it anymore but yeah uh i carried on through all high school and uh that kind of but that was like the starting point that led me to different instruments and um found out i had a an act for it sure with with guitar, were you ever in a band? Like being in that in the in the scene world of you know in that kind of space, were you in a band at all? Oh yeah, I was in a few, and never. Uh, I mean, I don't think we we're anything exceptional. We were just doing you know battle the bands and uh, no, no shows or anything. But it was like the infancy period where I was learning how to write music um, and like working with other people. Uh huh. It was a it was a it was a dream, but. No, I didn't get anywhere, unfortunately. But fortunately, I guess it ended up to this. Right, I was going to say, it did. Well, it landed you here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I can't complain at all. Right, right. Well, so did you, did you say you got into electronic music when you made it into college? Yeah, uh, I'm 32 years old. Or, not 33 right now. But uh, So my first introduction to EDM was, I was in college, uh, 2009 um, EDC at the Coliseum. Okay. Uh, in LA. Um, that was like my first introduction. I remember walking to the, the main stage and the first person I heard was Cascade. And oh. I, didn't know, I didn't know who Cascade was. And uh, I walked in. I just saw everyone kind of just watching this one guy on, on the DJ deck. And it, like, it just kind of hit me. I was like, wow, this, this, everyone, you know, just one guy. He's making this on a computer. And then uh, I think after that, I fell in love I think the only thing I knew of EDM was Daft Punk. I mean, 
I think oh, I sure. like that was a lot of people's introductions to EDM, dance yeah. music in general. But yeah. So other than that, and I, then Dead Mouse closed the night in Swedish House Mafia. Wow. Uh, and I was I was sold after that. And yeah, here crazy. we are. Yeah. With, with when you were going, where were you going to college, and were you going for music at all, or is it totally different? No, I went to uh, Cal Poly Pomona. Okay. Uh, a, My sister went there. School and engineering school. Oh, I mean, it's a very uh, definitely not music eccentric school. No, um, not at all. I went but there yeah, for engineering. My sister went there. That's cool. Yeah, it didn't work out. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, uh, engineering. I, I definitely am not a numbers person, but at the time, it seemed like a very uh, viable career choice. But mm-hmm. I'm glad I kind of did it. <laughs> it would have been right. really stressful for me. Sure. Sure. So you were going to Cal Poly and, um, mm-hmm. and then you end up getting, you know, going to the CDM show. And when you get home, like, where does it go? Okay. I need to get like a program. Like how did you even start in this world? Um, I actually, um, I used to work like way back in the day with uh, a guy who went by the name Fotik and, uh, he taught me how to make music. Uh, so we were kind of just doing something, you know, just, you know, uh, on, in his little room, we're making tunes and then um, kind of didn't work out. So that actually was what led me to meeting the other Joe because afterwards I had, I had music experience and he wanted to learn how to write music. And we had known each other from just having mutual friends who would meet each other at festivals. Uh, we were both, you know, into the EDM community. So we were, we were going general admission to everywhere in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from then on, he, he asked if I want, uh, if I could teach him, uh, I taught him. It didn't work out for a little bit. Uh, eight months went by or a year went by and then he sent me something and I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty, this has potential. It's pretty sick. Uh, we should work on something like together. So, uh, I guess that's how Arm and Hammer was born. Um, and then, yeah. Wow. Okay. So it just kind of started with a mutual friendship and then you attempted to write some songs together. It didn't really work out. And then months later he sends you this song and it was like, Oh, this is, this is something really cool. Let's, let's work on this. And then what the ball just kept rolling from there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at the time, uh, maybe it I mean, it wasn't that long, but I was doing my own solo project. And then, um, we just, we had a stride with making music. Uh, I think, um, the hardest part about, uh, you know, creative, uh, control or just sharing creative control is that, you know, you need the person you're working with to be on the same page, uh, inspiration wise. And so, uh, we just, it clicked, we both had the same vibe and, uh, yeah, we just kept doing it. When did you start, uh, like what, what was the moment that it kind of elevated for you like was there a song that you put out and like it stuff started happening or like how did your career kind of build from that initial song that you guys wrote no it was there wasn't just one song i don't think we ever had uh i mean we've had songs that stood the test of time but it, it was just constant just kind of you know we we put out probably a good maybe 20 songs before we even landed anything that was remotely successful um, so we were just fun. Uh, we got, we got into the stride of just kind of, you know, working on music, uh, 
pumping it out and then trying to find our sound. So I think maybe by like after the third or fourth year we were doing it, um, we kind of developed the sound of ourselves. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it matured, I guess, over after that. But yeah, me and, Joe, uh, me and Joe, we've been doing it before, I guess, the the, pin, the turning point, would I think, would be when the Chainsmokers had uh, you know, uh, recognized what we were doing and really went out of their way to help us out. But that wasn't until like four years after we started, four or five years after. Oh, okay. So prior to that happening, it was just, were you guys playing locally at all? Or is it mainly just writing songs together and putting them up on what, SoundCloud or online or anything? Yeah, well, um, I mean, it was mainly SoundCloud, uh, but we were playing local shows. We were uh, opening up for, I mean, our main venue was at the time, it was a club called Sutra Nightclub in Orange County. And uh, we were lucky enough that there were a few big names that came out of there that really helped us out, like uh, Slander. Uh-huh. That was, uh, they're really uh, a big, uh, big turning point for us. So they really helped us out. Um, we were good friends with them. Um, they're like the main Orange County um, kind of DJs that were coming up at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, they really, yeah, they just went out of their way and they helped us out too. So it we definitely give credit to everyone who's boosted our careers over the years. Like, how did Slander help you guys? Oh, I mean, they, since, I mean, before we started music, they were already, you know, going full force at it. Uh, uh-huh. They just gave, it, gave us tips. Scott and Derek were just so helpful with just kind of, you know, uh, teaching us lessons they've learned. Uh, like over the years before us and uh-huh. uh they're they're still pioneering the road for us today so amazing it came full circle uh-huh that is so cool and well, t- well tell me about the thing with the chain smokers oh um i mean uh i think we had came out with a song want you um mm-hmm. and they had a initial i mean i think it caught their ear uh at the time roses i think was coming out like that whole you know, that new, that new direction they were going which mm-hmm. would arguably, I would say kind of, you know, spearheaded a lot of the modern day feature based melodic based sound of today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess they, they dug it. So they gave us the opportunity to remix uh, one of their songs. And I think that's what caught on and inside. Oh, the song was inside out. And uh, arguably, I think that's the song that kind of launched our career as Armand Hammond. Wow. Okay. So once that happened, it was obvious. Oh, they obviously had a huge, uh, you know, fan base at this point, right? Yeah. Hundred. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. They. Uh, yeah. We wouldn't. We definitely wouldn't be where we're at if it wasn't for their help. And then they helped you. And then they allowed you guys to remix the song. And how, how does that? Did they just come to you and say, "Hey, could you? Like, we got this record, and we wanted to know if you got you could put your own spin on it." Is is that kind of the conversation? Like, how does that work with with remixing yeah. songs? Yeah. Yeah, uh, we. I mean, we. We. I mean, uh, where uh, we messaged Alex Paul, he was. He gave us the opportunity, uh, and then, I don't know we tried. We just ran with it, and uh, yeah, it was just an opportunity. We were luckily enough. We were at least a couple years into our music production experience, so I think we, uh, luck is when opportunity meets preparation, uh-huh. and uh, we had we had the skill set. And then they sent us the stems and I think uh, yeah, it just 
blew, uh, took off from there. They also offered us like our first big, big show. Uh, they played the Municipal Amphitheater, I think, in Nashville. That the that was called the Municipal Amphitheater. Yeah, so, they, they, you played a. Oh, okay. Uh, dude, I'm so new. I don't yeah, know all uh, the venues so, here. I feel bad not being oh, no, able no, to no. be like, yeah, it's that. <laughs> it, was so, it was so long ago. I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but yeah, they gave us, before then, we were just playing side rooms, opening up for acts at a, you know, 300 max person club. Uh-huh. And they gave us our first like huge show. It was like, it was like a 12,000 person uh, uh, seated stadium. And then That's crazy. we had our one chance to play a set. And then uh, I think after that, it caught on. We, we gained a, like a huge following after that. And then um, it snowballed from there. So you did the, you just got, you did the one show with them and it was, what was it like? Like, I mean, you, you go into the show and then it's like, you get off stage or the, the night wraps up and is it what, like your social media blows up, your streaming blows up. Like how, do, how does it like correlate as far as that goes? I'm just curious. Oh yeah. I mean, from going, uh, you know, playing small clubs you probably maybe every show you maybe get like five five to ten new followers and then i think afterwards we played and then yeah our social media just started we just started gaining followers people discovered our music luckily like i said uh we had like a vault of music already so it wasn't i think that was just the 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 kind of the open door that allowed people to discover who arm and hammer was okay but uh yeah Prior to that, I mean, I, we were both, that was the biggest show we've ever played like prior to that. And uh, yeah, we were, uh, pardon my language, shitting bricks. You're allowed to cuss. It, it was a very nerve wracking time. I was going to say, t- take me through that. You get this show and then what, you have to, what, fly out to Nashville to, to play. And mm-hmm. well, you first, get there. Like, real out of state show. Uh, yeah, we get there. We're just sitting nervously in our green room. Um, uh, funny story, it was Halloween weekend and uh, the Chainsmokers guys were dressed as Kiss. Oh, that's awesome. I think uh, Alex was Gene Simmons. He pulls up into our green room and he's like, what's up, guys? And he has the full mace, face mask and, or face paint and everything. This tall guy, I'm like, and me and Joe just couldn't recognize him at first. He's like, Ew, it's Alex. And then from there, it was like that, that really lightened the mood for us. They're in their ridiculous, I mean, not ridiculous, but like they yeah, yeah, dress. obviously, they right. Suit. Yeah, full kiss. You, you can just imagine the face paint with the, with the big, the wig, and it just like really lightened the mood for us when we were uh-huh. treating it way too seriously, I think. That's funny. And then so you get on but, stage. I mean, and, it's a, it's a big yeah, you get on stage, and what's that like? You're like, oh, God, oh my, you're like X, you know, what'd you say, 12,000 or 17,000 people? Like, that's yeah. so many people. It's so, yeah. Uh, I think we it was a blur. For <laughs> not not because we were drinking or anything, but no, obviously, it was just, just you know, like whoa, so it's, yeah, of course. <laughs> wow, that's insane. That's so cool. I the only the the two chain smokers comments I have, or one is I I met them one time, and it was when I used to work on the radio. Like I said earlier, I worked at a station at this time was in in San Diego, and I was on the alternative station, but we had a top forty station in our building. And I didn't know, like, it was when they had that selfie song, hashtag selfie came out. Uh-huh. 
And like they, I didn't know who they were. I mean, they didn't have like a Classic. huge following at all, at any means. And like the guy that did the afternoon DJ there was like, oh, he's like, oh, I'm going to go grab the, this artist. I'm going to interview him. I'm like, who is it? And he's like, oh, they're called the Chainsmokers. And I'm like, oh, that's rad. And then he told me that like, I, oh, I know the song because they were playing it like very little. I mean, they weren't getting a whole lot of airplay at all at the time. And then like it was insane because, you know, a year, not even a year later, they were like the biggest artist on the planet. I know, man. Yeah, well, just, too. Those guys work so hard. Yeah, it was just crazy. I was like, whoa. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, uh, Justin Crusoe, he's also a DJ. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, course, he, I, interviewed, yeah. I interviewed him a while ago, and he told me that the Chainsmokers, well, I, I don't know if this is, I don't know, two or three years ago, but I don't know if this is true or it sounded pretty insane that they actually will open and read all of their emails. If you send them something, they'll act like literally open it and read it or respond. Like, I thought that was so cool. Oh, I mean, I, I believe that I can only speak from ourselves, but they, yeah. I mean, they, I mean, we were no one and they responded to us. So I, I, I just think that's so rad. That. <laughs> that's so rad. Do you, I, I mean, I would imagine that's something that you guys probably do as well. Right. You're like, if somebody were to reach out is do you, offer advice down to the the up-and-comers yeah i mean we, we definitely try to uh a lot of the singers and artists we work with uh are, are really talented up-and-comers and, -comers. and mm -hmm. uh i think the same way they did it with us and the slander guys we try to pay it forward and uh you know build talent we think like they are amazing so the same way hopefully they thought of us the same way right but, uh I think yeah, paying it for it as an artist is very important to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, the the people that you have on your records are so some of them are so talented that I didn't recognize or know who they were until I was listening to your records. I was like, oh wow! Like especially the new one with Run, I didn't know who who she was until I listened to that record, and I'm like, whoa! Like this is an incredible vocalist. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's way too many talented people, in, you know, in music is. I think the hardest part is just finding a, a little, you know, a nice spot for you in it. Right. But there are just way too many amazing people out there. <laughs> when it came to this, this new record, well, you put a record out in 2020, right? Mm -hmm. A thousand dreams. Uh, yeah. We had done that with Dimmat. Okay. And what was it like? I mean, going leading into 2020, like in 2019, like what was the, what was the plan and how did that was it affected by obviously it was i'm sure affected by what ended up happening in march with the pandemic no yeah uh, i mean it was kind of a rough time i i can't speak for all artists but i know um i feel weird time because a lot of i guess djs a lot of our inspiration comes from um testing out music live i think that's the appeal of uh I guess with EDM is mm -hmm. that when you go out to a show, you get to hear unreleased things. You get to hear IDs of, uh, you know, your favorite DJs. And a lot of the time we use that as kind of feedback. Mm -hmm. So we're writing. So during the pandemic, you know, uh, we were the last industry to come back. I think live entertainment, live music. Yeah. Uh, so it was really rough just trying to, I wouldn't say, just trying to find inspiration because a lot of it comes from how it's, you know, how it's received from our fans and 
just the people uh, who come out to our shows. So we were just writing. Luckily, we had um, we had a live stream show called Infinite Skies with Insomnia and shout to Insomnia. Uh, they gave us a platform uh, to to do that uh, via live stream, but I can only imagine just every. I mean, for all artists in general, it was a pretty rough time. Right. But you were able to at least use that platform to kind of what test songs that you hadn't quite released yet, or is that what you were able to use that as like a focus group type deal? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually that's what uh, our two, I mean, a thousand dreams and now our new album that's coming out uh, this Friday, actually uh, Mm -hmm. waiting for love. A lot of that process was just, we were playing it on the live stream, um, you might be able to catch like the really early stages of some of these songs. Um, but then here we are now, a uh, couple, you know, months, I mean, I won't say that knock on wood, a couple of months after every, you know, the COVID and everything. Right. So, uh, and the records you know, coming I mean, out Friday. I, I, That's I exciting. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, all I can to, say, it was a rough time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to be able to at least have that, uh, you know, outlet to be able to still kind of do what you were doing as far as testing songs out to seeing how your how your fans and people were reacting to it. I mean, it's obviously not the same mm-hmm. setting where you can tell right in front of you people are going crazy to it or they're not moving at all because it's all through <laughs> you know, yeah. a computer screen. <laughs> but that's I mean, at least you yeah. had that right. I mean, it, it must have been yeah, still no, difficult, but you can kind of gauge a little bit of what the response is from the songs. Mm-hmm. So but I would uh, argue like, I mean, it was a rough, Oh, sorry. My bad. No, 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 go ahead. It was, I mean, I, I would argue, uh, I guess, you know, some, it gave us an, a platform too. we can we kind of benefited from the pandemic, um, only because it'll, um, since there were no shows, it allowed, I think a lot of people who had time to listen to music, to really discover new music mm-hmm. um, because I mean, I think most people were probably just at home working out or, you know, cleaning, having music blasting. So it was a really for underground music. It was, I think it was a really good time for discovery. Sure. Sure. I completely agree with that. And, and with that though, like, were you able to like, when it comes to collaborating with artists, especially on this new project, was that all done virtually? And had you ever worked that way before? Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of the singers we work with are sometimes they're not California uh, native, or native or local. So we've kind of gotten used to, we hop on FaceTime calls um, and kind of just work remotely. Uh, and a lot of our songwriting process is pretty organic. We don't try to rush things. So a lot of the songs that you're hearing now uh, were written like a year ago, but it's we were just kind of waiting for the right opportunity or if it fit a big body of work. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the songs from their album right now were written during the pandemic. Okay. That's interesting. With, with, the, with the record and the tour, you guys are doing a tour. Um, I'm curious mm-hmm. because you did a sold out show at the House of Blues in Anaheim, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, Blues. Um, I don't know. Do they do this for every artist that sells it out? Do you get a skateboard deck? Oh yeah, actually, uh, I don't think anyone can see it, but in the in the back area of the green rooms and stuff of House of Blues Anaheim, anyone who sold out a show has a a custom skateboard deck 
mm-hmm. just made for. And you know, there was Ace. There were so many amazing artists: ASAP Ferg, Lincoln Park. There's in the back, and you ha- you see all these skateboards just kind of lined up. So it was a big moment, at least for being from California, and to be able to sell out the House of Blues and have our skateboard added up there. That I wish awesome. people could see it because it's amazing. Yeah, everyone has their own skateboard, like in the back. Yeah, because they're all over. I mean, they, they also when you're going in, I mean, maybe you have to have a certain access to like that top level. Like when you come into the mm-hmm. venue and like where the merch tables are kind of set, they're like kind of surround. I mean, there's a bunch of them up there, but there's been so many artists, I'm sure, that have sold it out that uh, you, they, they can't present all of them out there. But I was wondering, like that. <laughs> yeah, so it yeah, is yeah. for every. So you, that's so cool that you guys got a skateboard deck in there. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah, part of history now. Yeah, and that's so uh, rad. That is so rad. <laughs> I might, I might even just put some wheels on that. Try to, try to roll. <laughs> uh, well, do they give I you guys? Do, do they give you guys a skateboard deck? Do they give the band a skateboard deck as yeah. well? Yeah, wow. my whole, uh, my whole team got one. That is looking so... at one of them right now. <laughs> oh, you are? Because I didn't, like, you yeah. don't have anything, you don't have them up on your Instagram, do you? Or maybe I just didn't see it. No, I, we haven't, we haven't put it up, but uh, every single one of my team members, my manager, my tour manager, the other Joe, we, ha- we all have it kind of hang, hung up on our room. That's so cool. Yeah, I was wondering, because I knew that they did that, and I was like, I wonder if they, like, I, I didn't know if it, there was some, something other than i knew you had to sell it out but i didn't know if they like made you jump through like one more hoop or something and that's so cool to hear that it yeah we sold it out we sold out the big room they gave us a skateboard deck like that's the coolest coolest thing and the coolest like way to i think repay bands i think that's such a rad idea and we played the house of blues before but we didn't sell it out so we were kind of bummed because uh this was during our uh free world tour uh, okay the first album we came out with Dimac and then uh, we were very, we were just short of selling it out and we were kind of bummed. So the second time we came back uh, for the start of this tour, the first thing we asked was, where's our skateboard? Cause we had luckily, <laughs> I mean, so, <laughs> LA is our hometown. Yeah. Uh, we were blessed enough to have it sold out before. So the first, yeah, that's the first thing we asked, like, where's your skateboard, please. That's so cool. Uh, that's so cool that you guys got it. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> thank you. Lo- thank you. Yeah, and I love your merch. You have the coolest, like, honestly, like, some of the coolest merch I've ever seen from any artist. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm, it's, uh, we, we try to, we try our best. Yeah, it's like, it, it, like I love the baseball uh, jersey shirts are so sick, and then that, that mustard yellow t-shirt is so rad, too. I mean, I, the, the logos and everything you guys have done is just, is so, like, the graphics, everything, it's really, really impressive. Thank you. Thank you. We yeah. like going lo- a little loud with our colors. So. Which I love. I think Glad that's so uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it looks great, man. Well, I, and I appreciate you doing this interview. Thank you so much for, for doing this. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah. I got one more quick question for you, Joe, before I let you go. If uh, you, yeah. ha- I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Uh, I guess the only thing I could say is Stick it through. Um, I think a lot of the our colleagues that we've known throughout the years, we've seen, we've seen so many talented, really, really talented artists kind of fall through the cracks. It just, you know, um, 
the music industry is a really, really a hard industry in the sense that, you know, a lot of what the art that's created is kind of tied into the person themselves. And it's easy to get yourself down when you think the reflection of your art is a reflection of you. So I would just say to all up and coming uh, aspiring music makers or engineers or any, anything you want to do in the creative field, just, you know, think it through. Eventually uh, you'll be recognized for what you have to offer.